0: On the one hand, the tools aren't horrible, but the UI itself is still fundamentally holding us back. There are things and thoughts and ideas and kinds of work that we literally cannot get at because of the UI.
1: Welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight. I'm Sophia Bush.
2: And I'm Austin Craig.
1: This podcast explores the real-life people, teams, and technologies that are solving society's most serious problems.
2: Right now, all across the globe, There are a handful of people crazy enough to believe that they can solve our biggest dilemmas with data.
1: If we're gonna find solutions, we have to know where to look. And as more and more of our lives are digitized, even more of those answers can be found in the data all around us. What if the answers to humanity's biggest problems were hidden in plain sight? This season of Hidden in Plain Sight is brought to you exclusively by our friends at Splunk, the Data to Everything platform, Splunk helps organizations worldwide turn data into doing. It's time for data to be more than a record of what happened. It's time to make things happen. Learn more at Splunk.com or by clicking the link in our show notes.
2: Video games have been a staple of entertainment for decades. Across all devices and through ceaseless evolution, they almost always have a few things in common. Players are shown the playing field, like a puzzle or a virtual world to explore, and information at the periphery. Maybe it shows how many lives you have left, or a map or inventory. That information is there to make the game more playable, winnable, and fun. Now stretch your imagination. What if your life had the same thing? What if you could pull up any info you need at any time in your periphery to complete any task? What if it made your job more like a game? What if it made life more playable, winnable, and fun? It might be closer than you think, according to author and futurist Kevin Kelly. He's spent a lifetime studying the broad strokes implications of technology. Among other things, he's an authority on immersive technology like augmented reality, or AR, which overlays information on a user's field of view, and virtual reality, VR, which completely fills the user's view with a
3: virtual world.
2: Recently, he noticed an emerging trend worth exploring.
3: Just as there was the web was this immense platform that enabled lots of things to happen and then we had the smartphones and social media which was another big platform and that this was going to emerge to be the third stage, the next platform after smartphones, it would be smart glasses.
2: Smart glasses have become a common notion in the zeitgeist, showcased in Marvel movies like Iron Man and Spider-Man, and they're more technologically feasible than ever before. But Kelly felt a less literal name was needed to identify this type of tech and others like it. Several names were in the running. You might call it the AR cloud or the metaverse, but the name Kelly uses is the mirror world. And like the internet and smartphones, he's predicting that the mirror world will impact every
3: part of our lives. We're at this point where even the inventors of this technology don't know what it's really going to be used for. But, but there, are, there are a number of different, what I would think are kind of immediate uses. In 1989,
1: Kelly was one of the earliest to experience what we now call virtual reality at the lab of Jaron Lanier. It was Lanier who coined the term virtual reality, and his company sold the first VR headsets.
3: I saw VR, virtual reality, in the 80s, and I thought it was gonna be the next five years. And so it was like, oh, this is around the corner. Well, the problem is, it was just the price. The Problem is is those setups back in the 80s cost a million dollars.
1: Despite brilliant technology, the gear was too expensive and bulky. It would take more than 20 years before immersive technology would again surface in a big way. Smartphones made that possible thanks to their efficient processors, high resolution screens, and tiny sensors. Throughout the years, Kelly has continued to sample immersive technology, trying every major system there is. The way that Kevin Kelly sees it, the mirror world is a new kind of internet that we're already starting to see. It's virtual worlds overlaid on top of the real world woven together to create a massive one-to-one map of the globe with data embedded everywhere. The mirror world is viewable through augmented reality, virtual reality, and everyday surfaces that double as screens. Imagine seeing all the information from Google Maps, like navigation, reviews, and nearby restaurants, but rather than viewing it on your 4-inch smartphone screen, the data is visible all around you. It's useful data deployed everywhere you look in real life.
2: Maybe in the not-distant future, you have a smart mirror. A very literal take on Kelly's mirror world. You find a new garment online, and in the mirror, you see it on your body. You adjust the cut, the style, the color. Get it just right. You turn around and see how it moves with you, noticing your skirt flowing in the virtual wind. or. Maybe fashion isn't your thing. You're more of an architecture buff, visiting Chicago on a business trip soon. Anywhere you go, you could summon the history and details of the diverse structures across the skyline without once looking down at your smartphone. This technology could help with a home remodel, rearranging furniture, moving walls, trying different shades of paint. It could help in the kitchen with new recipes. And the uses aren't just domestic. Think about this in the context of surgery assistance, real estate walkthroughs, or classroom instruction. The possibilities are endless, just like the internet. But the area that could see the most immediate impact is one usually seen as low-tech and low-fun. Industrial blue-collar
3: work. So I think the first uses are going to be in places like occupations where they need to do repair or training. Complicated machinery has to be repaired. Technically, it's it's a real stretch for people to kind of know if they have more than one machine, is knowing how they work. And so the way this works is that you have this thing that you see, you see the real machine, and you have this overlay, virtual overlay of what is what and where things may be broken and what wire to move over here. The expert could be looking over your shoulder and says, okay, this nut here, turn it this way. And then over here's, and then they point up to it. So they see this overlay of the real thing and the virtual understanding of it. And they get to work in this actually not theory, this, this absolutely works and is being used today.
1: When Kevin Kelly says this technology is being used today, he's talking about companies like Context Air.
4: There is a long time ahead where people need to put warm hands on cold steel right? They need to install, maintain, repair, and inspect complex equipment. And that's not going anywhere.
1: That's Gabe Batstone, founder of Context Air, a startup building machine learning algorithms that extract previously inaccessible data for industrial environments. Batstone is at the forefront of innovation, trying to deliver the right training tutorials and information at the right time and place to help prevent industrial tragedies in the future.
2: The way Batstone sees it, It won't be long until every job is a data job, whether that data is served up through a smartphone or smart glasses or other wearable devices and augmented reality systems. Computers are very good at analysis
4: and they can provide you with a series of potential decisions in a given moment. But the reality is humans understand judgment and that's putting a decision in context. Yeah, and I think it's it's really important, particularly in the industrial environment where the pace of technology moves so fast, right, and, and the equipment is being upgraded constantly and changing. It is literally impossible to keep all of the training and even operational materials up to date in every moment, right, and distribute them. So if you take away that distribution challenge, right, and have it on demand, and if you lessen the burden on training of trying to train everyone for every possible scenario in advance, which has become impossible, and just say, no, on the job, let's provide access to intelligence. This is the blue-collar whisperer. So we're kind of whispering in people's ear as they go about their job, like, be careful, that's hot. Or just a reminder that six months ago, you worked on a similar procedure, and perhaps you got it wrong, so you might want to slow down. Or the ability, and I think one of the most powerful abilities that we've created, is the ability to actually talk to the equipment. So one of our projects is really essentially very much like a chatbot in today's vernacular. And it's this idea that, imagine if you could walk up to a piece of equipment and just talk to it. And just say, you know, what tools do I need to work on you?
2: This tech is still young, but the potential impact is huge. And it might be easy to fixate on the hardware aspect. Debating whether the completely immersive virtual worlds of VR will be the winner, or maybe the heads-up display overlay of AR will come out on top. But Batstone is quick to point out that it's not really about one device or another. It's about enabling ready access to information.
4: The important part isn't what device the user has, right? Whether that's a wearable device, an AR headset, a phone, or a tablet. But actually that the problem, technically, we thought, was more important was what are you trying to tell that person regardless of what device it's gonna go on what's the smart piece of intelligence that you're gonna give them that's gonna change their behavior I think for those in the hardware business and, and particularly those in the dedicated augmented reality space that is a huge barrier as to what is out there what's available and then you've also got the cultural reality of getting people comfortable with whatever piece of hardware you've got like, just get out there, provide intelligent context to people, and they'll make better decisions. And don't get hung up on the hardware. Get focused on the outcome and making that outcome better incrementally every day, every month, every year. And the return on investment will pay for itself. And ironically, somewhat, will then pay for that technology.
1: If any of this sounds too far fetched, too sci fi, too Star Trek holodeck, Just remember there's already a version you've probably used. When was the last time you needed to learn something and you found a YouTube tutorial to guide you? Kelly believes there's a fundamental reason this medium is so effective as a teaching tool.
3: The kind of aha moment that I had was that this stuff, it works on a different part of your brain than the part of your brain that sees things and watches things. It works on the part of your brain that is tricking you into believing that something's present, that that you're present, things are present. And just like we have another part of our brain on a screen where we see things move, we believe things are moving, so we watch a film of a rocket taking off, we say, well, that rocket went across the screen. No, there was no movement at all. Those are just still pictures, one after another. And that sense of movement that we would swear was there was just an illusion, it's just a trick. That is one part of our brain, but the other part of the brain, where we're tricked into believing that this is really here or that you are really here as an avatar, you feel that that you're really there, even though we know you couldn't possibly be there. That sense of experiencing things is very powerful. That's the new superpower that these AR and VR give is a sense of presence, tricking you to believe that you're experiencing something even when you're not.
1: There's another layer to the mirror world that will open up the possibilities even wider.
3: So there are people around the world who are highly skilled in all kinds of things, but lack that skill of being able to be fluent in English. If you had real-time translation, the kind of dabble fish where you are translating in real time, that just opens up and unleashes so much to people who, again, have great talent, but not the talent of speaking English, and they can participate in this global economy in a way that they could not before. And so that's also part of this mirror world technology, in my view, which is, you know, you it's not just visual, it's also audio. Talking to your assistant, your digital AI with your back and forth and voice, there is a a huge, to me, a huge economic component in just the change in the way we employ people, how we do work, these artificial virtual screens and rooms. I, I and I think f- For a lot of people, that's where they're first going to encounter this.
1: In the 2002 film Minority Report, Tom Cruise plays Chief John Anderton of the Washington DC pre-crime police. The controversial law enforcement unit uses psychics to see crime before it happens, and the murder rate in DC falls to zero.
2: Set up a perimeter and tell them we're on route. I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks.
1: The movie was a box office success and was predictive in incredible ways. Looking at Minority Report today, you're struck by the incredible foresight it had in predicting new technologies. Its representation of targeted advertising and self-driving cars were years ahead of its time. It showcased virtual reality in a believable way long before VR had made a resurgence. And the scene that stands out most is the gesture-controlled computer that Anderton uses at the beginning of the film. When the psychic system signals a possible murder in the near future, Anderton summons the data on his massive display, sorting, scaling, and sequencing images as though he were a conductor before an orchestra.
0: Quickly after the film came out, I started getting phone calls from Fortune 50 companies. It was an opportunity to get these ideas out into commercial form where they can actually do some good, where they can be used by uh, the world of people who design things and make things and make decisions and shape the world.
2: That's John Underkofler, the man who invented the iconic computer interface from the film. Underkofler was part of a think tank of 15 eminent technologists gathered by director Steven Spielberg. The group included Kevin Kelly and virtual reality pioneer Jaron Lanier. They helped steer the futuristic elements of the film and are largely the reason it was so prescient. Even before Minority Report... Underkoffler was convinced that the graphical user interface, or GUI, we've used in computers for decades was long outdated. After Minority Report, Underkoffler founded Oblong Industries to turn his fictional gesture interface into reality. He continues as CEO at Oblong today. I'd spent a year of my life trying to
0: build a coherent vision of the technological future that would exist in this speculative 2054 Washington, D.C., you know, landscape, mindscape. And in particular, the view that I, just, I spent so many hours on trying to dial in in exactly the right way of how a user interface could make a small team incredibly effective. Out of the many problems that the design uh, effort behind the film had to solve was, what is the future of computation? And Spielberg himself said, please don't tell me we're still going to have a keyboard and mouse in in 50 years. And I think uh, journalists will still have a keyboard because that turns out to be a pretty good UI for For typing language, but everything else needs to evolve.
1: Like Kevin Kelly and Jaron Lanier, Underkoffler has been working on this technology for decades—far longer than casual moviegoers might guess. And like Kelly and Lanier, Underkoffler is eager and ready for the paradigm change.
0: Around the time that I made that switch, it was 1994, roughly uh, a a decade after the Macintosh had come about. um, I very. Without question, very naively thought, "Ah, decades probably. That that's a good run for a GUI. Let's go, you know, on to the next one. Maybe it takes us a few years, but by you know 1999, we should be using something that's almost unrecognizably more advanced than the Macintosh GUI. The GUI that we have on our laptops is still good enough as a general-purpose GUI that we can do what we need to do. We can do that as programmers. We can do it as finance people. We can, you know, kind of make a go at it as designers and so forth. The tools aren't horrible, but the UI itself is still fundamentally holding us back. And it's not a matter of quantity. It's a matter of quality. There are things and thoughts and ideas and kinds of work and kinds of synthesis that we literally cannot get at because of the UI that our brains are capable of, that our consciousnesses, our cognitions are capable of, that uh, and that the backend computation is capable of, but that the UI is now in the way of.
1: Imagine being able to virtually confront, control, and use all the data around you and on the internet to help you accomplish your goals. Once you can visualize the next step and utilize real-time information via a heads-up display, suddenly jobs become easier. Tasks can be automated. Safety protocols are now verified in real time.
2: The world is full of people looking for help in their work and personal lives. They're in every corner of the world, speaking many different languages, but ultimately they're looking for much the same thing. The chance to do good work, provide for themselves and their families, connect with other people, and enjoy themselves along the way. The internet has helped billions of people do those things. Smartphones, too and mirror-world technology is poised to take it further. What if we could empower all those people with better data, probabilities, and tutorials all in the corner of their vision? What if this secret to making our jobs and lives more playable, winnable, and fun was hidden in plain sight?
1: I'm Sophia Bush, and you've been listening to Hidden in Plain Sight from mission.org. This podcast is sponsored by our friends at Splunk, the data to everything platform. In today's data-driven world, every company, big or small, new or old, is sitting on terabytes of unused, untapped, and unknown data. Splunk helps turn all that data into action, using cutting-edge AI and machine learning Splunk delivers real-time predictive insights that will help you on your mission to change the world. With solutions for IT, security, Internet of Things, and business operations, Splunk empowers people to make faster, better decisions and take action to get things done. It's time for our data to be more than a record of what happened. It's time to make things happen. Check it out at Splunk.com.